This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Zoo's Incense. They make exquisite hand-rolled incense cones with natural ingredients sourced from five continents, and they never use synthetics or charcoal. I've fallen nose over heels in love with their many magical blends, such as their Moon Mix, which is made from myrrh, sandalwood, and orris root. Go to zoosincense.com, that's Z as in zebra, O-U-Z as in zebra, incense.com, and use offer code WITCH to get free shipping on orders over $20. Let Zoo's Incense transform your space into a sanctuary. Today's episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Blood Milk Jewels. I have loved Blood Milk for years because each piece of their jewelry has a story that adds to its aesthetics and talismanic qualities. Their designs are inspired by seances and surrealism and shadowy goddesses and so many more of my favorite things. They use materials like sterling silver and natural crystals and gemstones such as moonstone, labradorite, and onyx. And so each piece is crafted to be psychic armor. I also love that they've been handmade in Philadelphia using local resources since 2008 and that it's a female-owned and operated company. So check out bloodmilkjewels.com and adorn yourself with dark, sparkling beauty. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Welcome to the Witch Wave. Ooh, Mercury Retrograde is here and I am feeling it. And fair warning, you are going to be hearing some of it in today's episode too. Now for those of you who don't know what the hell I'm talking about or what Mercury Retrograde actually is, let me break it down for you. It's a time period when the planet Mercury appears to be moving backward. Now, this, of course, isn't what's actually happening. Planets don't reverse their orbits. But because of the way Mercury and Earth are positioned, a few times a year, as Mercury zooms past Earth, it looks like it's moving backwards relative to our planet. And astrologers believe that because of Mercury's influence during these three-and-a-half-week blocks, we can experience these Mercury retrograde effects in all kinds of strange ways. What does that mean exactly? Well, let's remember the planet Mercury is named after the Roman god of communication. 
In Greek mythology, he's called Hermes, and he's the fleet-footed messenger god who is also in charge of commerce and technology. So, as the theory goes, during Mercury retrograde periods, life is sometimes more affected with delays, miscommunications, technological hiccups or breakdowns and other mishaps. It's a pain in the ass. Astrologers will tell you that you should avoid signing contracts during these time periods if possible, or to know that even verbal agreements that you may make right now may end up being subject to mistakes, mutations, or just not come into fruition at all. It can be really, really frustrating. But on the plus side... Mercury retrograde periods can also be really great times to look backwards in your own life or do the kind of work like editing or organizing or general regrouping. It's a really good time for self-reflection and it's a time where issues or people from our past can resurface sometimes in really delightful ways, or else in ways that might need revisiting or resolution. Now, if you're experiencing the effects of Mercury retrograde, or you're worried that you might in the future, don't panic. Just know that you may need to be a little bit more careful and thoughtful right now. Be on the lookout for mistakes, double check your work, and then go ahead and check it once more. And most importantly, be patient with other people, with machinery, and with yourself. Mercury Retrograde's message is for us to slow down and take stock. All that said, there are some ways that you can help combat Mercury retrograde static. I've found that by appealing directly to Mercury himself, he can sometimes ease up on me during these periods. I have a Mercury dime necklace that I sometimes like to wear during these periods to honor him and to ask for a little extra protection. Now, Mercury dimes are actually Liberty dimes, but the image of Lady Liberty looks an awful lot like Mercury with the winged hat that she's wearing. In hoodoo traditions, it's thought that these Mercury dimes bring luck and good fortune. I also have a figure of Mercury on my altar, and here's a little story about that. Some of you know that we have two cats, Albie and Remy, and our girl cat Remy is very into magic. Whenever I'm doing any kind of spellcraft or ritual, Remy is right there for it. Over the last few weeks, Remy has gotten into this new habit of walking on my altar to get to the windowsill, something she never used to do. In fact, I've had to rearrange some of my deities and sacred objects to make a path for her because, let's face it, Remy's a goddess in her own right. Now, when I started putting this episode together, Mercury had just gone retrograde on March 22nd, 
and I had all kinds of scheduling mishaps and time zone confusion and miscommunication with a couple of guests that I was planning on recording. And one of those guests was having major technology issues. He couldn't get Skype to work, and then he couldn't get Google Hangouts to work, and nothing was working. And to top it all off, while he was contending with this computer chaos, I was having trouble reaching him. And so I didn't know if the interview was still happening or not, and I was sort of spinning my wheels waiting for him to let me know what was going on. Suddenly, it occurred to me to ask for Mercury's help. So I went over to my altar to have a little talk with him. And lo and behold, I noticed that my Mercury figure had been knocked over, most likely by Remy, and he was sort of wedged in a spot between the altar and my bookshelf looking all kinds of sad. So I put him back upright in his rightful place, and I apologized to him for the accidental displacement and thanked him for his guidance in general. And then I asked him if he could please help with the communication mishaps that I was experiencing with this guest. And I kid you not, as soon as I did this, my phone buzzed immediately. And I looked and saw that this guest was finally getting back to me with a new plan. So give Mercury a little extra attention right now, and don't be shy about asking him for help, especially if something really important is happening right now around communication. This current retrograde period will be with us until April 15th, and then there are two more of them later this year, so it's a really good thing to keep in mind. And if you happen to live in New York like I do, and you've got something super, super, super important that you want to make sure it doesn't get too messed with, you may even want to visit our gorgeous giant Mercury who sits on top of Grand Central Station and entreat him to go easy on you. My friend Mitch taught me to say, Hail Mercury! whenever I pass by that sculpture. He's the perfect guardian for the city that never sleeps because he is also the god of commerce and transformation. And so my intuition tells me that he really appreciates the extra love. Intuition is actually a really big theme in today's episode as I get to talk to Rachel True, the beloved actor, writer, and tarot expert. We discuss the many hats that she wears as an artist, an esoteric guide, and self-described mixed black Jewish chick. We also contend with some Mercury retrograde vibes of our own. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches. Jake writes... I have been really enjoying the Witch Wave podcast. The blend of culture, art, people, and magic you cover is particularly engaging, which is saying something coming from this third-generation atheist hard science bloke. 
My personal definition of magic is that which helps us to access our unconscious, intuitive selves. The more I learn about witches and witchcraft, the more I feel like the modern witch is essentially a scientist delving into the unexplored territory of the mind. I love that, Jake, and I so appreciate your taking the time to write. I'm so happy that you're getting so much out of the podcast, even as you're coming at things from a more scientific perspective. And I agree with you. Magic and science are more interrelated than some might have us think. After all, they're both concerned with probing mystery, asking questions, and seeking great truths. One of the challenges with science is that it strives to be objective and fully quantifiable, whereas magic is far more personal and subjective. But I don't think that means that they cancel each other out. In fact, I think that they can coexist and inform each other in amazing ways. There are lots of examples of scientists who have had breakthroughs from dreams and rituals and other shamanic or transcendent experiences. And likewise, the things that we're learning about quantum physics, for instance, seem downright magical. All I know is this, even though magic is difficult, if not downright impossible to measure, it works and I wouldn't bother with it if it didn't. And whether or not it's because it's allowing me to access my intuition and my unconscious, or because it's a placebo effect, or maybe it's actually doing something on a material scientific level, I don't really care. I just know it brings immense meaning and beauty and powerful change into my life. And Jake, I hope it does the same for you. Now, on to my guest. Rachel True is an actor who many of you probably know from the 1996 cult film The Craft, an iconic movie about four high school witches that has gone on to influence generations of magic practitioners, goth kids, and fashionistas alike. She has also starred in such films as Half-Baked and Nowhere, as well as television shows including Half and Half. On top of all that, she's become a real leader in the space of wellness, who writes about health and healing at her site, Some True Things. And she's been a tarot reader for most of her adult life, yes, even before she starred in The Craft. She does readings via her business, True Heart Tarot, and she has a book coming out next year about intuitive tarot reading as well. It was a complete joy to get to speak with her about where she's been, where she's going, and how tarot has helped her along the way. Rachel joined me via Skype from her home in LA. Rachel True, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled and over the moon that you're here. I'm so appreciative of you taking the time. 
So I want to kick things off. You know, obviously, a lot of people are going to be excited to hear about your experience working on the film The Craft, because this is the Witch Wave podcast. But I know that there is so much more to you than that. So I actually wanted to start in the space of tarot, if that's all right with you. Awesome. And so you have a business and a practice that is called True Heart Tarot. And I'd love to hear, first of all, how did you find your way into becoming a tarot reader? Um, well, I guess I was always uh, really attracted to tarot. Um, like as a small child, uh, around the age of four, so I could read a little bit, but um, around the age of four, I moved in with my father and his new wife and they had a library and by library I mean bookcase but to me at four it looked like a huge library <laughs> and I always loved books so I was really drawn to um two different books and like I said I don't think I was necessarily reading them so much as looking through them but Young Carl Jung's book Man and His Symbols as well as um, Nietzsche's Beyond Good and Evil mm. I'm sure it was the illustrations that drew me but either way, I was really fascinated by these by these books. And so by the time I was a little bit older and a family friend, you know, introduced me to tarot decks, I was like, oh, my God, this is like a language I get. I understand this language. I can parse this language. This reminds me of those books that I used to like as a little kid. So I was drawn to it in that way. And then I started reading uh, mostly for myself and a couple of friends as a teenager, and then I would say post-college is when I really got into reading, um, again, mostly for myself and for some friends. So then, um, and I know, I'm glad you asked this because I think a lot of people assume I would have gotten into tarot because I was in a witch movie. And frankly, it's like the other way around completely. I well, moved to LA, was working as an actor pretty steadily. And then all of a sudden things slowed down for a minute. And as an actor, you can kind of go nuts when things slow down. So I decided to throw myself into my tarot study to maybe like 95. I really got, or 94 maybe, I'd been in LA a couple of years, really got deep with my tarot study. And then literally, I swear, almost like nine months to eight, nine, 10 months later, the craft script popped up and a friend of mine said, oh my God, I read for this witch movie, you're totally right for it, you should read for it. And um, so when I read the script, I was very intrigued because it was something I literally just dived into, esoteric studies. So I knew that, personally, I think the script was attracted to me. Exactly. <laughs> because I was into all that. So that's kind of how I, um, my little background in tarot. And then as far as moving fast forward into the future, uh, a couple of years ago, I was cast um, in a film that has yet to be made, which is so annoying as an actor. But anyway, it was a Marie Laveau film, uh, Marie Laveau story, and not a horror, horror movie about Marie Laveau, but an actual biopic um, of Marie Laveau treated with as much respect as any other period piece. So um, when I got that script and was cast in it, I just, I thought to myself, where would Marie Laveau be right now? 
Um, and I thought, well, she would have her own shop for sure. Um, so I started a little bit of a partnership with, um, the house of intuition here in LA for a little less than a year, about a year while I was there. Um, just to see, cause I was like, I know I'm a really good reader. I know my friends, everybody I know, friends of friends who referred to me that I just kind of read for, for free. Um, everybody loves my readings. People want another reading. Um, so I thought, can I do this on mass, you know, like actually read for, uh, many people in a row and keep up my energy, blah, blah, blah. So that's where, um, you know, being at House of Intuition was super effective. Now that ended and I'm, uh, doing tarot on my own. I don't really have a lot of time to take on tons and tons of new clients, but if I feel moved by a certain, um, message I get from someone, I, I might read for them. Um, but because, uh, you know, I'm still acting and as well writing, I just don't have time to, um, read for everybody who sends me an email, but I really appreciate the interest. Absolutely. So there's so much that you just mentioned that I want to dive into. So <laughs> I just wanted to make sure listeners even know who Marie Laveau is. So my knowledge about her is probably much more limited than yours, but I know her as the voodoo priestess or voodoo queen who was in New Orleans and is arguably one of the most famous black esoteric practitioners. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, I would say that's true. And the thing I find fascinating about Marie Laveau is she was a free woman of color uh, during the time of slavery. Um, I think she was, it's debatable when she was born. It could have been 1790 or 1810 or nobody really knows. Um, but a free woman of color, mixed and she really straddled the line between um, the esoteric and, and Catholicism, which I found fascinating. And because that's something I kind of really am intrigued with myself, not Catholicism per se, but as an African-American or black person, mixed person, um, I find my people to be very religious and they tend to think that tarot is untoward or not in alignment with um, you know, their Christ-centered religion and nothing could be from the truth, as we know, when you look at the tarot deck, it's literally, uh, there's the Tower of Babel. There is an angel there, you know, it's it's an alignment. Um, so I'm hoping that I can be one of, um, you know, the people in the new wave of tarot to kind of help bridge that gap as well. So Marie, you know, um, it's debatable where her powers came from. Were they truly something magical or was she also just a very crafty, clever woman who, you know, in the 1830s was doing hair in the wealthy white ladies' homes and heard a lot of information mm -hmm. that could also be used to her advantage. And the truth is somewhere in between. How interesting. The other thing I read recently about tarot is that the primary artist behind the Rider Waite deck, or as it should be called, the Rider Waite Smith deck or the Smith deck. Was a mixed woman. Yeah. She looks mixed to me. Yeah. Um, her name is Pamela Coleman Smith. Some people might know her as Pixie Smith. And so those tarot images that are so iconic and replicated over and over again were designed by her her and she we know that she definitely lived in Jamaica for some time I think people aren't a hundred percent clear on what her background was I guess if it's Jamaica she's Jamaica like black and Irish because there was a very big Irish overseer population in Jamaica at one point yeah, I, I, accents are similar when you listen to them it's uh, as an actor I've studied accents 
uh, Jamaican and Irish, very similar. Yes, yes. Yeah, she has such, similar to Marie Laveau, like a very mysterious path. I think she was actually born in England and then lived in Brooklyn and then lived in Jamaica. So (laughs) kind of a winding road. Um, Free-thinking bohemian woman, for sure. Absolutely. And I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about Jung because he's someone that I love. And I also noticed you quoted Joseph Campbell on your website, who's another North Star for me. And I see those two men as operating in a similar space in terms of tapping into some universal collective unconscious. So what was it about Jung specifically that attracted you? And how are you incorporating Jungian ideas into your tarot? Uh, well, I think again, as as a child, there's just when I saw the images, there the allegory, you know, in in let's say the original Rider Waite is kind of designed uh, to unlock things in you. And I love the young quote: um, "The best way to predict the future is to determine how the present evolved from the past." So I might have mangled that quote, but that's the gist <laughs> of it. And um, I quite like that because, in a sense, what what I'm doing with tarot, yes, there's a bit of um, looking into the future, right? But again, I like to bring it back to something uh, Occam razory to like here's something that we tangible that we can look at that happened in the past that helps predict your future. Now, I do think I use tarot absolutely to help um, a stir stir and and release my own intuition so that's where it gets a little esoteric and mystical because i personally believe we all probably communicated before language you know through uh uh no words right intuition and gut instinct and all of that so i find that using these archetypes um to help tap into what is really happening the way that young did something i might not even be thinking of or that's buried in myself or the querent um, I find the allegories very helpful. And I also think that to a certain extent, um, you know, tarot and, and psychic readers and esoteric readers were quite often the therapists of their communities, you know, um, of, of, let's say, lower income communities who couldn't and didn't have therapists at their disposal. So, again, for me, it's not that I don't have a mystical take on it, but I really like the practical implications because when I use it as a tool to unlock my subconscious, it helps me be able to sit with someone and read them without the deck mm, because I love it helps me zone into their energy. Yeah, like now when I read someone, I just did an event over the weekend in New Hampshire. So now when I read someone uh, a tarot reading, I like to just actually um, zoom into their energy first and see what I pick up. So about five minutes or 10 minutes of visit, me just using my intuition before we even touch the deck to see what I get. And that's one way all readers can, you know, start to learn to do that themselves to kind of develop their psychic energy. Absolutely. You know, as sidebar to one of the other projects that I'm working on that's tarot involved, I'm not going to say the publisher yet because we haven't done the official announcement, but I sold a how to develop your own intuition via intuitive tarot, how to learn how to use the tarot deck in a very practical way 
I can explain, you know, for newbies, usually, most likely, to learn to use the tarot inevitably to lead them to a place where they don't actually need to check in with the tarot reader or even the deck themselves. They can hone in their own intuition. So we're in the process of um, choosing illustrators right now. So I'll probably get a bunch of dings because we're, I get to design a tarot deck as part of this project. So I'm culling through um, artists right now. And so they're pinging me about them. Fabulous. Well, first of all, congratulations. That's such exciting news. I'm sure everybody's going to be just thrilled to buy anything that you write because you have such an incredible um, just life experience. So that that's exciting news. I hope that it resonates because part of what we've done with this book is, um, so, you know, uh, the basics on how to interpret this card, right? Then also the relationship between the suits and the, the numbers attributed to the cards. And as a way to further explain it, I illuminate, let's say, uh, the major arcana. So the fool through the world, those 22 cards will have um, a personal essay, a memoir type essay attached to it, how that energy, um, you know, was I affected me in my life. Um, so as that'll be, you know, my perspective as a black African-American mixed chick, um, coming up in the nineties, you know, and, um, a little bit of my, like, you know, manic pixie black girl dream, (laughs) dream girl (laughs) thing, as well as like, you know, my, my, um, my understanding of things today as a woman, because in the end, at this point, even though I feel super energetic and youthful, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm approaching full tilt crone, I think. So mm, my mm. perspective is very different than it was as a 20 year old. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to hear more about that. We're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I adore House Witch Home and Healing. It's a modern metaphysical lifestyle boutique in Salem, Massachusetts. Yes, witch city itself. House Witch sells handmade goods, witchy gifts, and work by local artists. But you don't have to be local to shop there because they also have an incredible online store. If you go to housewitchstore.com slash shop, and that's house spelled H-A-U-S, you'll also get 13% off your order when you use offer code WITCH. So go to housewitchstore.com today. It's your one-stop shop for magical products made with style, craft, and care. Welcome back to the Witch Wave. I'm here speaking with Rachel True. So Rachel, hello. hello. So we were just talking about your exciting new book and a tarot deck that you're designing. I'm curious, when you're reading, whether for yourself and other people, do you have one specific deck that you love to use or do you have a whole host of them? You know, I don't have uh, like a a collection of thousands like some people I know. I do have a few decks that I tend to rotate um, for myself. I'll use a variety of them depending on my mood. Usually when I'm reading other people, I'll sometimes give them a choice between like um, a Rider Waite uh, variation or there's an Egyptian deck that I really love from the 90s um, that I just found again last year on I think on eBay or somewhere that I really love using now. Um, and a lot of people think, I, I think, believe that tarot came from Egyptians. That's not necessarily proven or true. They've really shown tarot cards to be uh, perhaps coming from Italy. Uh, 
in, in medieval time period, maybe used as courting cards or way to tell a story, maybe used as fortune telling cards. They really, we don't know. They could be ancient. They could be 500 years old. We don't know. So I think it depends on the person occasionally. Like if I find someone super gentle, I, I'll occasionally uh, whip out my mother piece deck um, <laughs> because I think that's such a sweet deck in terms of delivering uh, information. I've, yeah, I've always loved that deck with the subtlety of the tilt um, to it, you know, whether the energy, you know, is being forced or is too passive. So, I, you know, it just depends on my mood. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. That makes a lot of sense. So I love that you came to tarot before you came to the film The Craft. And I promise we will talk about that film. But I want to talk more broadly about acting and perhaps acting as a magic practice. Do you see them as being related in any way? Well, I think there is absolutely a magic to storytelling and the the effect it can have on others who are watching, you know? So sure, I believe in sort of an everyday practical magic, I, be, I think. Um, I'm not a, a, a per se a Wiccan or a pagan or any of those things, um, be, mostly because they don't like labels, I think. Yeah. Do I have some witchy ways that people would think are, ooh, sure. Uh, but I don't prescribe to any one kind of thing. But um, yes, I believe they're in inhabiting another character. When you're an, act, an actor, there's something truly magical about sort of sloughing off parts of yourself and incorporating something new or looking through things through a new um, prism, um, uh, you know, of just perceiving the world. Yeah, yeah. It actually reminds me, um, there's a book that I was introduced to recently called The Way of the Actor by someone named Brian Bates. Yeah. And um, this is a book for listeners who aren't familiar with it. It came out in the, I think, the late 80s. And um, he basically compares actors to shamans. And if you'll indulge me, Rachel, I'm just going to read a couple lines from this. He says, the shamanic actor in performance becomes not another person, but another class of being. And the being is not a fictitious character, but a spirit. And then he goes on to say, the spirit through the actor gives access to visions voices, mysteries, and deep truths. I love that. And I would agree with that, actually. But I also would say for anyone listening out there, whether you're an actor or not, every anyone can achieve that state, right? Acting is just one way, a meditative state, if you will, to, to get into that the place of being where you are suddenly vibrating higher, where you are connected to the collective unconscious, like Young would say, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyone can do that. It's not just actors or artists. I love that you're saying that because I do think that actors um, are held up certainly in uh, today's culture as being associated with celebrity. But as we know, so many actors are artists and there are so many different ways to be an artist or be a spiritual or creative person. So I, I think that's a really generous way of putting it, Rachel. 
Well, I also love that. I think part of why, as especially as I get older, why I'm more even more drawn to tarot and and branching out and and becoming public with that um, is because when you are an actor, by the way, you can achieve that state he's talking about. But when you're an actor in Hollywood, you can also become completely self-consumed. Mm. So you know, ego and all of that is is you have to have a healthy ego to be a performer because if you don't have your own back, no one else will. So what I love about doing tarot readings is it's service work, it's healer work, right? So it takes the focus off me, even if someone comes, uh, so let's say I've, I've decided to take some read for someone who's never met me, even if they fan out for five to 10 minutes after that, after we're done with that, then it's all about them, the reading. It's not about me and what I want and what I think I should be wearing or doing or looking like, you know, so I really like that. I think it gives me a good balance. So to keep my, my head straight as far as also being an actor, you know, um, and staying healthy. Absolutely. And are you currently working on any acting projects or are you mostly focused on tarot right now? and writing. Well, I have to finish my book. So and I have a deadline for that. So I'm definitely very focused on writing right now. But I did a couple films last year. Uh, One of them, I think called The Manners coming out. Um, I'm not sure if it's in a theater or DVD. And I did a few TV shows. But basically, in a a nutshell, it's interesting. And I'm going to share this because I believe there are readers going through something similar. You know, I was on a TV show that ended in 2007 or eight. I'm not sure. And then after that, uh, I started, I just didn't feel well. I didn't feel right. I had a crazy feeling that something bad was going to happen. And a few things did happen. Like my, I had a brother who passed away, da, da, da. but long story short, I just had a uh, female uh, problem with my uterus and I ended up having a major surgery and um, taking, had to take some time off. Now as an actor, that's deadly. And the last thing you want to do And I was not happy about that, especially at the certain age I was at, which is a pretty deadly age for women. But out of that period, which was very difficult, uh, came again a renewed interest in my life in what keeps me grounded in my spiritual sense. And tarot is something I've literally always gone back to that has always kept me grounded. So as um, I worked through that and started working on the book and all of a sudden more uh, acting opportunities pop back up. So I got through basically a difficult period of my life by reconnecting with my spirituality. Mm, Well, I'm so sorry to hear about all the struggles, but it sounds like there was a, a lot of rich teachings in there for you too. Well, that's why I'm sharing it because I think a lot of people when we're going through the, you know, just hard, hard times, right? We, it, we, we feel like we can never see the end of it, but so very many of our greatest lessons only apparently come when we're in the shit, and that sucks, but usually as humans, you know, we like to distract, and so it's really only in those those dire times that we buckle down and we, you know, delve into the lesson. Because, for example, for me, I'd always, you know, uh, been into staying fairly healthy, but after my surgery, I sort of looked in the mirror and I thought, oh, goodness, I look... First of all, every inch of my age, which I never have in my whole life. Second of all, I just didn't feel like me. So I got really into plant nutrition and things like that. And I had not eaten, I don't eat meat since college, but I also gave up dairy. And I, again, not to (laughs) anger the dairy farmers out there, but frankly, there's one of the great things we can do for our bodies is cut down on dairy and things like that that inflame the body. But also we, I believe I have a, I have a health centric website where I like to talk about, I haven't updated it lately, but where I like to talk about things like food. If we start thinking of food as a spell 
for our body rather than just something we're putting in it. You know, we sort of delve into the nutrition and the actual feeling it gives us. That's magic, too. Um, so I'd advise for anyone out there, like, how do you feel half an hour, 45 minutes after you eat something? Do you feel do you vibrate higher or do you feel kind of sluggish? Because I think it's like Nikola Tesla says, if you want to understand the secrets of the universe, think of it in terms of energy, frequency, vibration. So what, what are we doing? What are we eating? How are we talking to and how do we vibrate? Where's our energy, uh, you know, and, and what frequency are we tuned into? Absolutely. And I think that approach of thinking about the body and the spirit as being one and the same, or at least deeply integrated is so important because so much of modern society has this binary, right? It's the binary between the immaterial and the material or the spirit and the body. And that's right. so actually unnatural. Um, it, it makes me think of the alchemical adage, as above, so below, that whatever is happening in our spiritual realm happens in our physical realm and vice versa. That's that's very correct. So kind of putting all this stuff together, which is, you know, no, it's nothing new. It's not a new concept, but I'm putting it together in my own words and in my own way. And I hope by the time this, my, you know, a writing comes out, it will resonate with people because um, something I didn't put this, I'm not putting this in the book because I don't want to anger, um, you know, Oprah, who I love. But part of what didn't, a hundred percent resonate for me uh, with the, with the secret. Oh seven is what I call yes. it because it's a great idea, right? And it was all these great concepts, but you got such a little taste of it. You didn't get enough, I think, to propel it forward and really manifest. I feel like the step that was left out quite often in the secret, and maybe I do talk about it in my intro, is like, for example, if, if little Timmy, you know, wants a bike in the secret, it was like, well, just think about a bike, think about a bike, that's it. Just think about it all the time, maybe collage on it. And, you know, and then a little, and then a bike showed up for Timmy on Christmas. But my thing is, if we're going to follow the thing of the tarot, like if the first thing is the idea of the bike, right? And then, and then that's the swords maybe. And then, and then I love the bike. That's the cups emotion. Uh, 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 and then, you know, I, I want the bike. Um, where's the step of action in the secret to little Timmy needs a paper job to get that bike. Exactly. So, you got to meet the universe halfway. Right. And I feel like the secret, which is, was beautiful, left out the, the, the meeting, you know, the energy we have to put in, which is something I believe that sometimes, you know, in, in the past, religion would also make people leave out. Like you can pray about something, you can do spells on something, but your energy, your, your wand force, life force energy is what's going to carry it forward in the energy that you decide to put into a project. Absolutely. I also had issues with the secret in that it seemed like it was at least had a subtext of if bad things happen to you, it's your fault and you attracted that. And Oh yeah, that was a little harsh, wasn't it? Yeah, because I mean, we all go through bad things. And I think those bad things, you know, often are gifts. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes bad shit just happens. And yes, we have to deal with them. When I thought about the secret, I kept thinking, yes, I understand what they're saying. Like if I'm thinking very negative, crappy, anxiety ridden thoughts, maybe I'm going to attract a, uh, you know, a dude to date who's also in that space. I get that on that level. But I also think, well, what about children uh, born into the lowest untouchable caste system in India, right? Did they 
uh, create that. Exactly. And, and maybe some would say it's karma, you know, from a past life or, or familial lineage baggage. I don't know, but I believe, I personally believe we can shift almost anything, right? I mean, we really can. So it's a matter of retraining the brain for most people. And that's like what I love to use uh, tarot readings for. And I think sometimes um, people may think, you know, the reader is going to solve all their problems with a sentence. But really, like anything, the information you get from a psychic reader or a tarot reader or an intuitive reader is then up to you to implement. <laughs> no one can solve your problems for you without a little bit of your own elbow grease in there. Absolutely. Um, and while your computer's dinging over there, I have to tell listeners that I have a cat who's just decided to purr all over the microphone right now. I think he loves what you're saying, Rachel. So um, <laughs> if you hear that, that's what it is. <laughs> I want to apologize to the readers, too, because I was asked to get a mic and I did not procure one. So it's all good. We were talking offline about Mercury retrograde, which I think just started this morning, if I'm not mistaken. Well, you know, what's funny. I was born with Mercury in retrograde, actually. So quite often uh, decent things happen. Not always, but decent things can happen to me. But I say always be prepared, which is why I bought this laptop a week and a half ago. <laughs> Uh, instead of right now, because I knew I would need it now. But I thought, no, no. And I'm not even the most hardcore uh, astrology person, but I do find it mostly because I think time slips and slides. So I'm like, how do I know that's my exact birth time? Um, but that's just my personal opinion. But I find the concepts fascinating. And as far as astrology, I was, I'm a Scorpio. So I completely concur with my horoscopes that um, Scorpio has been under the gun the last bunch of years in terms of Saturn being in our chart. And finally, that's moving off and Jupiter uh, is coming with some gifts. So I would agree with that as far as my Scorpio self. Ooh, well, I love the idea of gifts yeah. coming. Everybody likes that. Absolutely. But again, to go back to what we were talking about, gifts that um, I worked for, you know, um, because even even when working on the book, I, uh, you know, had uh, was approached by an agent and he right away said, we can get you a a ghostwriter. And I said, no, 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 no. Something I've always been is an avid reader and a writer. Um, And I want to do this by myself. So I really had to buckle down and discipline um, myself because I love writing, but I'd never, I had not written anything this long in years, um, you know, besides a few scripts. So uh, there was a lot of work and and just forcing myself to kind of reckon with with what I wanted um, and how to create that. And did you feel like you manifested this book opportunity? Was there any sign in your cards that it was going to happen? Or how, how are you feeling about this project? You know, what's funny. It's like I have been told my whole life, and maybe everyone is told this by every psychic they see or person they run across who's intuitive, um, that I was going to travel a lot and write a book. And I certainly have traveled this globe, so that's fabulous. But I never really thought terribly seriously. I'm in L.A., so I thought more about scripts than I did about books. But um, about maybe a year before the opportunity came up to write, um, I had seen a channeler, I read, read with a channeler, and they had said, everything is there for you, and we, we have you a book, a book. And I all I could say was, no, I want a movie, <laughs> you know? because we think about what we want, right? As opposed to what the universe is offering us. So anyway, I did do a movie, but 
when um, I think I did an article or maybe an interview with someone about the fact that I did do tarot. And uh, so I had a couple of publishers and agents um, contact me and I just, you know, decided on the person I vibed with. I got really lucky with an agent who had, um, he's a, obviously a literary agent now, but as a teenager had worked at Miss Cleo's, uh, psychic Are you line reading. Serious? Yeah. So I was sort of, he was fascinated by me. I was fascinated with him and his, you know, I just wanted to pick his brain on that. Uh, because he definitely, by the way, for the record, he said he really tried to give the best readings he could give. It wasn't him bullshitting. Oh my God. Really- and for younger listeners, Miss Cleo was a woman who had these commercials. Were they in the nineties, Rachel? I'm trying to remember. I don't even know if it was eighties or nineties, but a big, I think she was a Jamaican, heavy set Jamaican woman, Miss Cleo, psychic phone, friends, psychic network. And it all sounded like bullshit yeah, to me. It's a 900 Be- number. That's right. And here's the thing. I'm very particular with my readers. And I think that people out there should be as well who are listening, whether you're thinking about joining a covenant, if you're a witch or whatever it is, you've got to really think carefully about who you're aligning yourself with. Right. And what energy, uh, you're, you're getting involved with. So for me, I am pretty choosy about who, who I go to, who I trust. Um, because I've, as, as people out there probably would agree, you've been to some, you know, uh, maybe not the greatest readers. And I think it's important to develop your skills first before you decide just cause you got a deck doesn't mean you should go charge people for a reading. A hundred percent. Rachel, on that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. You've heard me gush about Mithras candles many times before, and they love you guys so much that they're now offering free shipping if you use offer code WITCH at their website, MithrasCandle.com. You know, 2,000 years ago in labyrinthine underground temples across the Roman Empire, the first beeswax candles were burned in secret rituals to the god Mithras. Now you can experience some of this mystery for yourself with Mithras Candles. They're handmade from the purest golden cappings beeswax, and with that natural, subtle honey and floral scent, Mithras Candles are the perfect illumination for the mysteries of your life. So go to MithrasCandle.com, that's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and use offer code WITCH for free shipping today. Welcome back to the Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Rachel True. So Rachel, I imagine that being involved with an iconic film like The Craft is a mixed blessing because 22 years later, I'm sure so many people still want to talk to you about that and you've done so much since then. But if you'll indulge me, I would love to hear how are you feeling about being involved in that film these days? Um, I've definitely gone through different emotions with it, right? Because um, like when I got the script, which I had to fight really hard just to even get read for it. Um, my agents thought I was too old, wasn't right. They weren't necessarily going to cast someone ethnic. And they were all white girls in the beginning. My character, I think, was bulimic. That was her issue. Mm. Um, when she was a white girl. 
Um, so anyway, long story short, when I shot it, I was really stoked because I, you know, really manifested this. Then maybe like five years or six, seven years after the movie came out and people were still talking about it, I was like, whatever. Like, I've done like so many other things. And um, and anyway, cut to now, 20 years? I said 20 plus years? It's 22 20- years it came out in 1996, according to the internet. Oh my God, so. it just graduated from college into a really rough job economy. It can drink now. Um, Um, but all these years later, I actually really appreciate and love it. You know what I mean? I think most actors, because again, we're in our ego, we want to be known for our most recent thing or whatever, but I kind of adore the fact that I've been in a bunch of culty things. Like I have it, I think the craft half baked, which was, is stoner comedy with Dave Chappelle. And then there's a Sundance indie Gregor Rocky movie called nowhere that are all really big cult things that I can, I can literally go anywhere in the world and have an indie filmmaker strike up a conversation with me or have a Wiccan offer me a hemp bracelet or a stoner, (laughs) a joint. And so I'm like not mad at any of those things, right? Like in the end, I appreciate that all these years later, people, you know, respond to it as I I do. uh, I've done a few conventions where you meet people who are still into the movies and stuff. And as I say to them, like, you know, if it wasn't for them still loving and digging the movie and the concepts, people wouldn't be watching it. It wouldn't be on TV all the time. So that's awesome. And also it's a lesson in manifesting because before, when I first moved to L.A., uh, so early nineties, um, right after the riots, uh, Heather's that movie Heather's, which is a really cool old movie that people should watch. If you've never seen it, um, with Winona Ryder. Um, yeah, Heather's was on TV. I think all the time at that point, like every other weekend Heather's was on. Cause there just wasn't as many channels by the way, people. So just noticed when something was on TV all the time. So I remember moving to LA and thinking to myself, yeah, I really want to be in a movie like Heather's, like something that people just love. They still love years after it's over and like he plays on TV all the time. And you know what? I got that. So the lesson I think is always aim higher, right? Like keep it going. But I've also, like I said, manifested plenty of things. Like I starred in my own TV sitcom where I was number one on the call sheet, which, you know, there's not that many black chicks who can say that, at least at that point. So I loved being silly and throwing myself around on the floor and doing physical comedy. And it's like, I loved with the craft that it was touched on things that at least uh, Feruza and I were genuinely interested in. I don't think Nev and Robin, you know, it was nothing other than an acting job, but Bruce and I were genuinely interested in the subject matter. So for us, it probably carried more weight. Absolutely. And I was reading that there was uh, a high priestess who was a consultant on the film and there were actual, a lot of magical goings on that happened. Are those true stories? Those are actually all true stories. And I think I thought it was pretty awesome that straight away we um, were introduced to Pat Devin. And I I have that kind of weird memory where like, I can't remember what I did yesterday or that we had a meeting at one. But like, I remember her name, Pat Devin. And uh, she was our Wiccan consultant. And uh, Cruz and I both went to her Coven's Beltane Festival. Beautiful. uh, Celebration. So that was really interesting. And, you know, I still have all my books um, that I bought when I was, you know, working on the film. So there was, as silly as the movie is, as much as I know some hardcore pagans and Wiccans just detest it because it's a silly (laughs) Hollywood movie and, you know, special effects or cheese, all of those things, I think we tried, you know, more so than some, we weren't trying to uh, make fun of it, right? And I think the analogy that I love about the craft, which I overheard the director, Andy Fleming, telling on an NPR uh, thing, was that, 
you know, there's there's a series, teenage girls, right? We're coming into our own and our, our it's the, the, the witchcraft is really an analogy for their burgeoning sexuality as well, right? And coming into their own powers. Like if you notice our skirts get shorter as our powers get stronger. <laughs> <laughs> And I think teenage girls have always been feared, right? So I think I see why it tapped into the zeitgeist. I'm shocked it's still, people still watch it now. I, every time I talk to like a 17 year old, I'm like, so you don't mind that we don't have cell phones? Like, we don't even have pagers. And they're like, what's a pager? And I'm like, never mind. Exactly, exactly. Well, I actually watched it again recently, and I had a really different perspective on it as an adult. I'm in my mid, uh, I'm 37. Is that mid 30s, late 30s? Yeah. Like- what is the difference in your perception from when you first saw it to well, now? When I was a teenager, I was scared of the film. I've always been ironically <laughs> like as much totally because That's adorable. I, I'm squeamish. <laughs> and so especially um, the character, uh, Nev Campbell's character with the burned flesh and the needles going oh, through her flesh. Yeah. Yeah, so that that upset me. And, you know, I, I am a practitioner. I, I identify as a witch and I have since I was a teenager, if not earlier. So my experience with witchcraft, certainly some unsettling things have happened, but never anything evil. And so were you me in the sense that like even as a small child and this is why it was natural I went to tarot even as a small child I would be able to like say say the one sentence to peers or grown-ups that seemed to like really fucking cut to the heart of the matter or or viscer or, or just sort of shake them up and I didn't know what that was about even the other day I went up to someone and I was like oh hey nice shoes dude I bet you wish they had more arch support and he's like how do you know that's the first thing I say every time I put them on and I'm like I don't know but what I'm so I've had to learn, especially when I got to Hollywood, like, don't no, shut up, Rachel. Don't say every don't say the first thing that comes to your mouth out of your mind about someone because you're picking up some energy they ne- don't necessarily want you to know. Mm. And that lends itself very well to reading tarot cards. Absolutely. I think the other thing that I had, frankly, a problem with, and I, I still love the film, but the way your character as the sole black character of the four of them has like very little backstory. Like your whole character is about race. No, I, I don't think I know. Cause I, I think I realized after I did it that like, Oh wait, everyone has an issue. And my issue is I'm black. No, no, that's not my issue. No. That's not Rochelle's issue. Everyone else's issue is that she's black. Right. Um, so it was interesting. And we did shoot a scene with parents that got cut. And I remember in the scene, my parents who were, didn't have any dialogue were like, can you get us a line? And I'm like, people, I'm, I'm barely in this myself. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, times have really changed. Like again, when we did the publicity junket for it, I was not invited on it. And that would just never happen today with a group of Are four you girls. Serious? I'm totally serious. I'm, I was lucky enough that Nev, at least for one of the legs, was like, hey, producers, like, why isn't Rachel? So Nev Campbell, who's on a TV show at the time, you know, had more weight than I did and had me included on one leg of it. And again, I don't think they were necessarily like, we're not including Rachel. Like, it wasn't that. I think it was dollars and cents in their mind. I think they were literally like, oh, black people aren't going to see this movie. Oh, Period. My God. So the other three of them were included and not you. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it's funny. I brought that up to the group of them when we did a thing. It was me, Robin and Nev and Andy a couple of years ago. Farisa couldn't make it uh, to a screening. And, you know, the take on it was sort of like, gosh, you talk about being black a lot. And I wanted to be like, fuck everybody. So this was right before 
this whole new consciousness came up, right? Yeah. So these are lovely, lovely people who are all very conscious and aware. But it once again reminded me like, oh, right, I am the black person. That's right. Mm -hmm. Like, and if I talk about this, I'm the black person talking about black stuff. And now that I'm a grown up black lady, I'm the angry black lady mm. talking about stuff. So, you know, that's a, some of the stuff that will be included in my memoir part of the tarot book. And, you know, talking about just different kinds of how this energy and all of that has played out through the major arcana of my life, you know? Oh, I think it's so important. I know I have a lot of listeners from all different lived experiences, and it's something I'm very conscious of as I'm booking guests is wanting to make sure there's all different perspectives that are represented. Um, just in general, I think it's more interesting and it's important to do, but it, it means so much for listeners and readers to be able to, I think, see themselves and relate to, you know, people who well, have yeah, their experiences. That's when you asked about like, oh, is it like, kind of, is it annoying to still be known for the craft? You know what, on the level that like, I was a brown girl in that movie, which in the 90s movies were kind of separate it was like a black teen movie or a white teen movie you know there aren't black kids in john hughes 80s movies there's an asian boy here or there but there's which is i suppose more acceptable then but to have been that for people to have little black offs or just girls who even tinkered in it uh whoever to come up to me and say it was so amazing to see someone who looked like me or thought differently or was an alternate chef means the world to me, you know, because I didn't know, like when we were living through the nineties, we didn't know we were living through a moment, right? We just were living yeah. it and living our lives. That's it. We didn't know people would be sort of fascinated with it now. So all of that, um, is amazing to me. And, you know, to have a little teeny tiny uh, blip of a mark on pop culture is great. You know, makes me feel awesome. Oh, it's spectacular. On that note, are there any black magicians or witches who have meant a lot to you personally, in addition to Marie Laveau? You know what to be, I mean, I'm not going to bullshit you to be totally honest up until, you know, when I was coming up, so let's say the eighties, right. In the nineties, the internet just was not what it was yep. today. So today you, you have access to the hood, witch, um, whose feed I love on, um, um, Instagram she's so and great. Twitter. She was actually our first guest. I love her. She's amazing. And, and she's, you know, a bruja and a real witch and blah, blah, blah. So to be able to connect with people like that online and all the other people out there, and there's way too many to, I will mention, um, Oh, I'm spacing her, her thing, but Naha, uh, I think you can find her information from House of Intuition's Instagram feed, Nahan. I'm pretty sure she has a number after it, but she's an amazing healer. She's actually not a woman of color, by the way, but I'm suggesting her because if you're in the L.A. area, I believe she's truly magic. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Out of a lot of people that I've met, I'm going to recommend her. Um, but back to women of color, there weren't that many. So for me, being interested in this stuff, I was, you know, a bit of a pariah and an outcast and never brought it up to other people of color. So for me as a Gen Xer, it's really exciting to discover new people and new women of color, especially because I'm a lady, um, to, <laughs> to find them. Although, you know what I find interesting, you know, quite often is terms of identity. Like when I wake up in the morning, first thing I, I think, or I'm conscious of is that I'm a, a sentient being, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the first thing is that I'm thinking uh, I'm a sentient being. And then the second thing 
is is um, I guess that I'm female. Maybe I don't necessarily feel it, but I. And then lastly would be I suppose my color. And so I found that to be interesting because a lot of people of color will talk about how the first thing they feel is black when they wake up. And I just kind of feel like a conscious being. Yes. <laughs> all those other things once I'm slightly more awake, by the way. <laughs> See, that's so interesting. And so much of it too, it's like the language we learn to use about ourselves based on what other people identify us as. Sure, exactly. I think it's all very interesting because I am kind of one of those people who uh, is, is does kind of think of a lot of things that have been put on us, our social constructs, right? I mean, even this, and I'm going to speak, uh, I'm going to speak on this, you know, I've just noticed there's a big divide, right, between black and white feminists. And at first I was like, I don't get it. And then I thought about, you know, just being a kid and realizing, oh, I kind of get it now because ultimately the the feminist movement of the 70s was not entirely a white women's movement, but a lot of people of color were already in the workforce, right? Mm -hmm. So they weren't necessarily fighting for the right to work. So there was like a little, we were fighting for the right not to work. So there was a little bit of a divide in there. And then I think on an unconscious, subconscious, collective conscious level, um, there's still, to me, some familial lineage stuff between white and black women in terms of Americans and slavery. You know, um, maybe I felt it more because I came up in, you know, I was going to like NYU in the 80s. Mm. And uh, I was such an anomaly to most of the white people. Like I had grown up in an all white area with a white parent. So to me, it was nothing new. But they were sort of they'd never been around a person of color before. And I realized there was a lot of underneath stuff that maybe needed to be talked about, discussed, or let go of, right? Whatever it is. Absolutely. And I feel like some of that work is happening now, even as it's not the most comfortable conversations to be having. At least we're having them finally. Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I also would say to the, you know, millennials and younger, uh, everybody coming up, I think, now that I'm a grown up, I'd say, you know, engage in dialogues with your parents or your grandparents or whatever. And also try to have a little understanding that, you know, for example, Gen X, I mean, I was taught this is just the way it is that men get paid more. But wait, hey, I'm, I'm seven. And I think that sucks, you guys. I think that's really. Yep. But it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Black people get treated like shit. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. So we are unpacking and dis uh, dissecting all that to retrain our brains to go, we don't have to accept that anymore. Absolutely, 100%. Well, I'm really optimistic that even though it's not easy, that things are getting more open and hopefully more compassionate and more empathetic. Me too. And also I would say to like my fellow Gen Xers, stop harshing on the kids. I look at your own pictures from the eighties. We look like fucking morons <laughs> and idiots. I mean, our makeup was insane. Our hair was terrible. Why? Like, don't judge this generation is fine. Everybody's just doing their thing. Absolutely. Well, Rachel, I think that millennials are so lucky to have you to get to learn from. I think we all are. And I am so deeply honored that you made the time for the podcast. Uh, before we go, how can people find you? Is it Instagram? Is it Twitter? Where can people learn more about everything you're doing? Yeah, like I wish I was more up on my social media. I got a stalker off Twitter uh, in 2007 and still rounding out 2008, nine, rounding up a restraining order. So mm -hmm. I kind of let my medias go, but I do love the Instagram. 
On there, I'm at True Rachel True because somebody has my name and won't give it back. So at True Rachel True. Um, and then on Twitter, I'm on there sometimes at Rachel True. Uh, I also have a very, it's slightly neglected blog with a lot of really good information on it called um, sometruethings.com, or you can get to it through racheltrue.com, I believe as well. Uh, and I haven't updated it in a minute, but if you are a lady and you're interested, in, like I am, I'm intrigued by health things, maybe because I pick up on health stuff when I'm reading people. And since I'm no doctor, <laughs> I like to educate myself. So I have a lot of uh, articles I think are helpful on like gut bacteria, fix your, fix your gut, fix your mood, or hormones for women. And that's all women at any age, by the way. You can have a hormone imbalance at 17. So I'd love for women, if you can, take a time to look through them because so many women out there are prescribed meds that we don't actually need when we can fix these things naturally. Like that's the whole thrust of my blog is feel good in your body naturally at any age. Absolutely. Um, those are the main places I hang out. If you're super stuck on Facebook, I'm official Rachel True, although... Lord, I'm not on there. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Rachel, if somebody wants a reading with with you, is that even possible these days or are you just way too it's booked up? Uh, no, no. I think people should definitely send an email because sometimes I vibe off the message, to be honest. If I have time, I'll go through them and just sort of pick one to add in uh, and put on or, or if they're interested in getting on the waiting list. But occasionally I find myself like a few days and I'm like, I'll do some readings. So um, that is trueheartarot at gmail.com. And that's two T's. Um, well, true, T-R-U-E-H-E-A-R-T. T-A-R-O-T, so trueheartarot at gmail.com. That's the best place to hit me up because, like, when you send me Instagram DMs, I uh, there's too many of those. Totally. So just send an email there. Sounds great. And I imagine Instagram is where we'll hear about your book when you're ready to announce the title and release date. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, it's, I'm very excited about it. It's a major publisher, and we're just trying to secure the illustrator first so we can have a, you know, nice include everyone in the announcement. Um, but I'm super excited. And like I said, I hope it resonates. I really love being part of this new wave of esoteric thinkers who can hopefully, you know, bring this sort of spirituality, which was dusted in granola and um, for a long time, just bring it into the 21st century. Absolutely. Rachel, congratulations again on your book. Best wishes on all of your endeavors. And thank you again for being on the Witch Wave. Thank you so much for your asking me. Take care. Bye. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Rachel True for joining me. She is such an inspiring human, and it was so wonderful to connect. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to let me know about something magical that happened to you recently? Go on ahead and drop me an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and you might make it on The Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is produced and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by the sonic goddess Chiquita Pascal. Thank you so much, Chiquita, and by me. Our theme music is by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Dianca London Potts and Matt Freeman. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us lots of glittering stars. It makes a huge, huge, huge difference. It really, really does. 
You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you have an iPhone, I really think you'll love my witch emoji for iMessage. Fill your texts with images of witches, spellcraft objects, and magical symbols in a variety of skin-toned genders and colors by searching for Witch Emoji, all one word, in the App Store, or by going to witchemoji.com. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.